uh, I don't know. In any case. You've gotten closer there. Yeah. Well, no, it popped up there, but not here. Okay. Anyway, it's fine. So, um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, we got Haunted Japan for you tonight. And, uh, oh, I get to kick things off? I get to kick things off. So, uh, and uh, we are expecting um, Lee, will be Lee will be joining us in, in just a few minutes. So there will be a well, brief interruption, whatever have you, when she uh, when, when they arrive. arrive. When they arrive. So it shouldn't be too long. They were giving the tour tonight. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, yeah, perched on the ring of fire in the northwest edge of the Pacific Ocean lies the extensive archipelago that comprises the country of Japan. Stretched out for over more than 14,000 islands, this beautiful and ancient country has a complex and often tumultuous history full of stories that sometimes blur the line between the world we can see around us and something more surreal and mysterious. With so much history and its status as a cultural powerhouse, there's so much more to Japan than we can hope to cover in a single hour. So please forgive us in advance if your favorite tidbit of Japanese culture doesn't make the cut in this episode. If you have an idea for some aspect of Japan that you would like to hear on a future show, drop it in the comments and we'll circle back to it on another occasion. In the meantime, thanks for joining us as we take a dive into Japan's spooky side. So we're going to start on the island of Okinawa and the hills of uh, Kitanakatu, I think I got that right, Kanonakachu Village, just a stone's throw from the historic Nagachu Castle, Nakagusku Castle Ruins. Uh, I should have read this before. That's why I was doing it. I'm still not going to mess it up. Yeah. Nakagusku Castle Ruins, a beautiful seaside resort, was intended to rise in the 1970s to draw in visitors from all around the world. The Nakagasu Hotel was the brainchild of successful Okinawa businessman and politician by the name of Hajami Takara. The idea was for the hotel to leverage the influx of tourists that were expected to arrive during the 1975 Okinawa Ocean Exposition, which itself was to celebrate the return of the Raikuku uh, Island chain. <sighs> wow. I got this. I got this. You got this. I haven't started to drink yet. Maybe that's the problem. Uh, Rikuyu Island chain to Japan from the United States. No expense was to be spared in its elaborate construction with the resort plans to feature a fully functioning zoo complete with giraffes and elephants, an amusement park, a water park, a nightclub, and all the amenities one would expect from what was to be a playground for rich tourists. However, dark days awaited this dream project, and the resort was doomed to become known as one of the most cursed and haunted places in Japan. Before construction even began, concerned monks in the area came to Takara to plead with him to abandon his plans. They explained that the proposed resort was to be built on land that held graves, sacred sites, and a cave inhabited by restless spirits. Yeah, we all know how this is going to be. Yeah. Added into the mix that nearby Nakagusu Castle had been the site of numerous bloody battles since its construction in the early 15th century, and it was almost certain that any major construction would upset the ancestral spirits who still inhabited the site. While Takara listened to the pleas of the monks, he didn't build his political and business reputation by turning his back on a challenge. Construction began right as scheduled, but it would not be long before it became clear that there would maybe uh, may have been more to the monks' warnings than just words. 
Bad weather and poor road conditions quickly started to put construction behind schedule. But then came the accidents. Shared materials would break loose, crashing into men and equipment. Vehicles would stall and crash, taking them out of service. Workers were getting hurt in a series of inexplicable mishaps at an alarming rate. All of this in a work culture that put OSHA's most stringent safety measures to shame. Simply put, there is no way that any of this should have been happening in a country like Japan. Then there were the spirited encounters. Some workers began to complain of seeing shadow figures lurking about the site, as if somberly watching them go about their work. There were also sightings of an ancient lord on the construction site in what appeared to be 15th century attire. The workers began to call the project cursed and haunted. That talk soon spun into action, or lack thereof, as the workers started refusing to come to work. The project was falling further and further behind schedule, and the costs were spiraling out of control. Hajime Takara was frustrated, and he saw only one way to get things back on track. He would prove that there was nothing to be afraid of. Takara decided to take up residence at the unfinished structure, but after just a couple of nights, workers arrived at the site one morning to find Takara had gone stark raving mad. He was committed to an asylum where he passed away a couple of decades later in 1994. The project did not survive Takara's departure. Construction came to a halt in 1975 as the prime contractor declared bankruptcy. The project was abandoned, and the incomplete resort would slowly be reclaimed by the surrounding forest. The site became a popular destination for urban explorers, many of whom returned from their adventures with a variety of strange tales. Glowing orbs, shadow figures, apparitions in 15th century Japanese garb, eyes glowing in the shadows of the ruins, sudden feelings of terror or panic, and even people claiming to have been assaulted by unseen hands. For over 40 years, the rotting concrete hulk stood, weed-choked, defiled by graffiti, crumbling, and haunted. In, in 2019 and 2020, demolition crews reduced this eyesore to rubble. While destruction was undoubtedly a relief for the landscape, it remains to be seen if it was enough to let the unsettled souls here, layer, uh, go, um, let the unsettled souls here rest. We will need to wait and see what happens, what urban explorers and seekers of the paranormal may have to say about the one-time site of the Nakagatsu Hotel in the years ahead. I see him. <laughs> you, 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 you loving on the, you loving on Skelly? Let me know Skelly, you know, he's love. <laughs> he's a good friend. Lee, <laughs> thank you, I think. So proud of Chris's pronunciation. I saw that. Let's see how well I can do. All right. We're going to go over to Fukukov and Kishinu. Fukuoka. Fukuoka. Okay. Yeah. So some of the most quoted uh, and infamous places in Japan are the tunnels. We have, of course, covered a few of these before. You might remember uh, we covered the tunnel associated with Lake Fuzorua in Fuki Prefecture uh, and the Kayotaki Tunnel in Kyoto back in April of 2020. Suffice to say, there's more where this comes from. So let's talk about the old Inutaka, Inunaka Tunnel that lies south of Fukukura, what he says. 
and has several grim stories to be told about it in the inspiration of the recent horror movie called The Howling Village that was released in 2019. The tunnel is named for a village that once stood in the area, or maybe named of the valley. It is uncertain what was named first, but that's not too important for this story. What's notable, however, is that the village, which was established sometime during the Edo uh, period several hundred years ago, it was the source of the spooky tales about the old Inunaka tunnel, at least until the village was abandoned and flooded as a result of the construction of the Inunaka Dam between 1970 and 1994. One story states with a couple driving up the mountain uh, by the tunnel, and they were passing the uh, tunnel, excuse me, as they were passing the tunnel, the car's engine quit, and they ended up needing to walk to find some help. Investigators would later find their path from the car towards the abandoned village. Along the way, they passed an ominous sign that said, the Constitution of Japan no longer applies after this point. I don't know about you, but I'd be turning around. That's kind of weird sign. That, that, that's not the norm. <laughs> Even in Japan, that's not the norm. <laughs> the path was strenuous, and the trail went cold in the abandoned village. The couple was never seen again. Numerous horrifying tales have arisen to explain the disappearance, but with no evidence or witnesses, the story begins to tread into the realm of legend. It's said that the adventurous people can find the couple's car, still abandoned, not far from the entrance of the old tunnel, collecting dust and being claimed by the elements. The grim tales about the tunnel don't end here. Uh, one story is also about a young girl who was murdered by the tunnel but never laid to rest. She's been haunting the tunnel ever since, making her presence known to those who dare enter. Visitors to the tunnel say that you can hear whispering on the faint sound of someone saying, stop. Those who disregard this warning have reported a sensation of being physically pushed from the tunnel by an unseen force. Perhaps it's the girl demanding her privacy. Or perhaps she's trying to save others from sharing her fate. After all, hers was not the only death in this tunnel. Another murder took place inside the Inaki Tunnel, and it was a 20-year, 20-year-old Umiyama, Umiyama Kuichi, Kuichi okay, who was abducted and tortured by five young thieves in 1988. Why the thieves were not content with simply making off with his car is unknown. But they doused him with gasoline, set him on fire in the tunnel. The murderers were arrested. They were sentenced to a life prison. But in the years since then, some have claimed seeing the spirit of the young man around the tunnel stuck in the place where he met his terrible fate. The murder was so shocking that the tunnel was bricked over to prevent another such event from happening there and to deter those who would try to visit the scene of the crime. Still, those who approach the tunnel for any reason say that electronic devices will malfunction, cars will break down near the tunnel, and you may also hear dogs barking and growling from the tunnel, perhaps even an inhuman screech coming from the darkness. If you insist on trying to visit the area around the tunnel, use caution, and be sure not to visit there alone. We don't want you to become the latest spirit trapped inside this most terrifying location. Yep. Questions? Emojis? Yes, emojis. Now, the, uh, yeah, that, that sign, I still, it, 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 it is weird. It's weird. It's out of place. It's not right. I would turn around. Yeah. Sorry. 
in an isolated spot in the mountains just to the west of Tokyo, we find a picturesque gorge with a waterfall known, in, known as Oiranguchi. It all seems innocent enough, but a flag might go up when you find out that Oiranguchi translates to the Courtesan's Abyss. This area got its name from an event that transpired here back in the 1570s. In that era, the region was largely controlled by the powerful clan. The clan funded many of their exploits through a profitable and very secret gold mine that was located by the gorge. The Takeda used their funds for a wide variety of activities, including mounting military campaigns, funding shrines, and building a vast spy network. A key component of this network was the Kunuichi, a group of female ninjas. To fulfill their mission, the women would pose as anything from holy women to courtesans and everything in between. Fifty-five of these women were employed at the gold mine to entertain the men working there during their downtime as courtesans. At least that was what their outward-facing task was. Given their skill set, it's likely that they engaged in more than just entertainment. Eventually, the mine started to run dry, and the decision was made to abandon it. Despite this abandonment, the Takeda clan still didn't want their rivals to learn of the site. Witnesses to the mining needed to be dealt with, including the Kunuichi. Hi, Lee. <laughs> we have company. Uh, put that blanket down on there if you'd like. No, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> You know your way around. <laughs> so, yes, the witnesses needed to be dealt with, including the Kunoichi. A platform was constructed on the edge of the gorge under the premise that it would be a stage for an upcoming performance. The Kunoichi would dance as a part of this performance, and they were sent out on the platform to practice. Once they were engaged in the dance practice, men from the Takeda clan destroyed the platform support, sending the women plummeting to their deaths. The site will be named Orambuchi so that the crime would never be forgotten. In more recent years, a rickety suspension bridge was built over the gorge, adding to the creepy atmosphere that lays heavy on the heavily wooded landscape. For those who visit the area, they need to be mindful of the restless Kunoichi spirits. The women are frequently seen in the area, and howling and shrieking can be heard echoing through the night. Most terrifying of all, however, is the beastly form of a faceless woman that roams the area. This menacing creature seeks out those who are foolish enough to roam the area late in the evening. Could it be the collective manifestation of the Kunuichi's anguish, or perhaps a curse that has been placed on the land? We're unlikely to get an answer to this question, and I know that I'm not going to be the one to wander into these haunted mountains to try and find an answer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> samurai time! Yes. Samurai. Oh, cool. We got enough samurai? Yeah, we got, we, got, we got a couple samurai tales in here. Wonderful. about uh, the country's famous samurai, and we're going to step back to the 1100s, where 
the Heike and Genji, Genji clans, Genji. Genji clans were waging a bloody war for supremacy in the conflict known as the Genpai War. Uh, the Heike clan commander was a well-known warrior named Taro Nolotomorai, and he was ruthless and resourceful, often experimenting with new and unorthodox ways to engage in warfare. The most notable example of this took place during a naval battle at Mizushunimai, uh, where commander ordered the ships to be tied together to provide a sort of artificial island on which to fight. Despite the commander's best efforts, the Heike clan was eventually defeated, and Tamamura refused to submit, though he and his warriors chose to commit ritual suicide. Uh, they did this by tying heavy hangers to their feet and hurling themselves over the side of the naval vessel to their deaths in the Shimanoski Strait. Shimanoski Strait. Ever since that beautiful day, the spirits of uh, Tomorai and his fellow Tomorai warriors are said to haunt this patch of sea between the islands of Kaishu and Honshu, often seen wandering above aboard passenger vessels or just under the waves. It's also said that their spirits give the area Taiki crabs their mysterious samurai head markings. Next time we want to see a picture of one of those. by invoking laws at the time which he argued he had not broken. 
when the court found that he had remained within the law and had offered good reasons for his decidedly harsh and terrifying actions, he was subsequently pardoned and given amnesty by the emperor. This would not be the end of Masakado's familial, familial conflicts. Other relatives, including his own father-in-law and cousin, attacked him and were once again driven back by his battle prowess. Howling for revenge, Masakado raised a fighting force to invade their lands in Hitachi province. In the end, Masakado eventually forcefully acquired eight different provinces, all the while arguing that his military actions were all within his legal right that he had been granted. Although the nobles of the time condemned his actions, there was not much they could do realistically. Further complicating matters was the fact that the peasants of his conquered lands adored Masakado, whereas they had been previously treated with disdain and abuse by their oppressive rulers, the peasants were treated gently under the reign of Masakado, which caused them to see him as somewhat of a savior. He had also gained legendary status as a fierce and skilled warrior who could not be defeated in combat, which caused all of those who would oppose him to fear and avoid conflict with Masakado. The government, which was at the time based in Kyoto, grew increasingly concerned by this powerful, headstrong, loose cannon with his new kingdom and masses of loyal peasant followers. It was widely believed that Masakado meant to expand his domain or even proclaim himself the new emperor of Japan. They were right to be worried because soon the new unruly ruler was soon doing just that, making bold claims to being the new emperor of all of Japan and promising to bring it all under his wing. The emperor in Kyoto did not take kindly to the rumors he was hearing of an uprising to the north. Masakado was deemed a rebel and a traitor, and a hefty bounty was placed on his head. A formidable force, including some of Masakado's own relatives and one of his closest allies, Fujiwara no Hisato, Fujiwara no Hisato mobilized to march forth into the Kanto region and to bring back the head of the rogues, rogue samurai. In 940 AD, they caught up to the rebels in the province of Shimosa and mercilessly mounted a night raid. Masakado's well-trained army fought valiantly, but in the end they were outnumbered almost 10 to 1 and fell before the onslaught. Masakado himself was killed by an arrow through the head, after which his head was removed and sent to Koyota where it was to be displayed as a warning to anyone who would similarly oppose the emperor. When the head was moved, it was noticed to have not decomposed as it should have, even after months of being on display, and that the eyes almost seemed to be alert, and it was even said to change facial expressions day to day. Even more bizarrely, not long after its interment there, the, um, interment there, the head was said to call out into the night, moaning, groaning, and asking for its body back. It was also at times allegedly seen to be taking flight to terrorize the area. One evening, it is reported to have begun glowing with an eerie light before floating up into the air, after which the head went shooting into the night like a rocket. The flying, screeching head eventually fell to earth in a fishing village called uh, Shibazaka, where it supposedly landed in an area that to the state is known as Masakado no uh, Kibuzaka, or the hill of Masakado's head. The head was found to be 
found by weary locals who cleaned it off and buried it with a shrine subsequently built over the burial site. This shrine was to become ground zero for various ghostly phenomena such as mysterious lights, anomalous noises, and a full-bodied apparition of a samurai wandering about. In addition to these hauntings, Masakado's spirit was blamed for all manner of maladies that plagued the area at the time, with natural disasters, disease, and accidents happening with intense frequency. The resting place of Masakado was eventually moved to Kanto to appease the angry spirit, but disaster would follow not far behind with the great Kanto earthquake of nine, or 1923, which caused widespread devastation. The Ministry of Finance building, which had been erected near Masakado's resting area, was raised to the ground, and the ministry went about searching the mound where the samurai's head was said to be buried, but nothing was found. The hill where the head had been interred was leveled, and a temporary finance ministry building was built on the site. It was to prove to be an unfortunate decision. In the coming days, many employees, as many as 14, met untimely demises under suspicious circumstances including the finance minister himself at the time, Dishi Hayama, Hayami, excuse me, Hayami. Early uh, other employees of the new building fell mysteriously ill or had freak accidents at their workplace over the years, with the most common type of injury oddly happening to the feet and the legs of the unfortunate victim. The building quickly accrued a reputation as being cursed by the spiteful spirit of Chara no Masakado the ministry ended up removing the cursed building from the premises and from 1928 began holding annual purification rituals in an attempt to somehow calm down the furious ghost of the ghostly samurai. When World War II began, the government became too tied up in other matters to be concerned about keeping the spirits of long-dead samurai at ease. However, Masakado's distaste of being ignored reared up in 1940, precisely 1,000 years after the samurai's death, when a lightning bolt struck the new Ministry of Finance building that had been erected nearby, leading to a fire that engulfed and destroyed the building as well as several other government structures. Subsequently, a stone monument was once again put up among, uh, among great fanfare in honor of the fallen samurai Masakado and the ministry changed the location of its offices. This new monument stands in Tokyo's Otomachi district to this day. Masakado's angry spirit, nevertheless, continues to loom over the area well after World War II, with even the occupying U.S. forces experiencing all manner of paranormal phenomena at the site. The land was turned over to the Japanese government in 1961, and this seems to put the samurai spirit at rest until the area underwent development in the late 60s, which perhaps by this time, unsurprisingly, led to the specter of freak accidents and illnesses befalling workers, as well as various reports of a mysterious shadowy figure appearing in photographs taken near the site. Locals began twice-monthly purification rituals in order to restrain the restless spirit. In 1984, Terra no Masakado's spirit was officially reinstated to deity status. To this day, the sinister curse of Terra no Masakado is well known and feared by locals. The area where the grave and monument are held have come a long way since their humble beginnings. 
Otomachi, where the shrine housing the samurai spirit currently lies, has transformed into a bustling financial district of high-rise buildings and soaring skyscrapers, among some of the most prime real estate in Tokyo. And just a stone's throw from the Imperial Palace, the unassuming Kanda Moijin Shrine and a plot of land where Masakado's head is said to be buried has remained untouched and is maintained by an organization of businesses and volunteers who seek to preserve it, continuing to hold frequent purification rituals to calm Masakado's spirit. So, warrior to want to become emperor to become deity. Yep. Can't say he didn't rise to the rank. Yeah, took a thousand years, but he got there. Yeah, yeah. not too shabby for himself. Mm-hmm. Good whiskey. Good whiskey. Always good whiskey. Scotch. Same it's, thing. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah, scotch is just Scottish whiskey. Scotch is Scottish. So, 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 so whiskey, whiskey. But then there's Irish whiskey, and then there's bourbon, and there's scotch, and there's... They're all kind of cousins. There's, there's Japanese whiskey. Yes. Which we had thought about going, and, going and getting a bottle for tonight, but our we uh, need to drink more bottles, make some room first. Although we did, we killed one. We killed one tonight, so there is an open spot on the bar. Open fact about, about about Japanese whiskey. Um, they used to be called Japanese Scotch before the whiskey law. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Know that. That went through the um, uh, the the world of whiskey. Well, yeah. Well, specifically, it went through uh, the UK. Yeah, yeah and um, Queen Victoria. the international reservation. Something like that, yeah. Anyway. Scotch, Scotch can only be made in Scotland. Yes, um, but but uh, Japanese whiskey is made with a very similar method. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is and, why we like it. And it is quite good. And um, actually, I had not been introduced to Japanese whiskey until just a few years ago. We got an, an advent calendar. Uh-huh. Of, of 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 whiskey. I would love um, to get that again. That was a really good one. Uh, it, we, we got to find that. We, uh, we got it through the UK. Yeah, we ordered it online from the UK, and it had um, a whole wide variety of whiskeys in it, including two Japanese whiskeys. Yes. And I was very surprised, pleasantly surprised, at just how good they were. Mm-hmm. Very very tasty. So let's go on to Dubai. Uh, uh, it's a round schoolhouse. It's the country's largest uh, second island, excuse me, second largest island of Han- Hokkaido. 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 And this is where the Shakari River Basin, basin uh, we can find the small city of Dubai. Uh, the small city is known for its beautiful views, its history as a coal mining center, and while the coal mines have been shuttered, other historic sites remain in the area, including a ruined and rather creepy former schoolhouse. The building itself was built in the early 1900s and was designed in a distinct round shape from which it earned its simple nickname, the Round Schoolhouse. From the 1940s until the 1970s, it was used as an elementary school, after which it was closed when the population started to drop after the closing of the coal mines. Since then, it simply has been left there to fall into ruins. Tables and desks are still set up there, all lined up as if they're expecting to do that will never come again. Nature has started to reclaim the site with a thick brush surrounding the building and swallowing the playground. The road to the building is overgrown, so only the only way to reach the decaying structure today is on foot from the nearest road. 
Dark rumors and stories sprang up almost immediately after the closing of the school, beginning with locals claiming that the woods in the vicinity were haunted by mysterious lights and shadowy figures, and the night would often be pierced by screams as well as other unnatural and unusual noises. Additionally, there are rumors of several children who have gone out to play in the woods and have never come back. It was not long before all this was linked to the abandoned schoolhouse. Through the late 70s and 80s, the round schoolhouse became a popular place to go and try to see ghosts. And by all accounts, it was absolutely infested with them. Frightened trespassers to the site would come back with terrifying tales of encountering all manner of supernatural phenomena on the school grounds or within its dilapidating building. And it has steadily become an increasingly well-known into the later years as a hot spot for the paranormal. Even above and beyond the talk of hauntings, more sinister rumors that tell of people going off to explore the ruins only to disappear without a trace. And the stories about abandoned cars found on the nearby road and their occupants have said to gone off towards the schoolhouse to never return. Perhaps worse yet are those who have said to come back completely insane, driven to the brink of madness by whatever they had seen in that place. One report from the site was of a group of three curiosity seekers who in 1998 went off to the ruins to poke around and seemed to have gotten way more than they bargained for. It started innocently enough, and the group of friends decided to make a trip out to the place after hearing some of the many scary stories. They parked the car along the lonely road and began their trek through the forest to the main building. Once there, the main witness claimed that they were almost immediately overcome by a clean, unsettling cold. They said that they sensed what, that they were being washed from the shadows by an unseen force that seemed to creep along following them. This was followed by a series of escalating paranormal experiences, such as items being knocked over, doors slammed shut, and the most frightening of all was the startled shout of one of the friends when he apparently aggressively was shoved by some invisible entity. The longer they stayed, the more intense the phenomenon became until they got to the point where they had seen enough and made their way back outside. As they did, a black form allegedly congealed out of the shadows and followed them. They had used that word congealed, didn't you? Grunge effect happening right now. Could be worse. It gets worse. <laughs> The friends fled back to their car, the black mass in pursuit. They managed to jump in the car just as the shadow caught up to them and slammed into the car. They said that it was as if a black bear had hit the car, and then it was gone, without a trace, and they were alone in the forest again. An even weirder account seems to suggest that there is some sort of vortex or interdimensional doorway inside the round schoolhouse. Doorway. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here we go. This apparently happened as recently as 2000, and again, it involves a couple of amateur paranormal investigators drawn to this location by all the mysterious tales and creepy stories. Perhaps it was their mistake to come here in the evening hours, but whatever the reason, they certainly came across something rather outlandish in that building. Even as they made their way through the forest towards the schoolhouse, they reportedly heard strange sounds coming from the trees such as what sounded like someone banging on a tree with a stick, the sound of someone snapping twigs, and what one of the witnesses swore was the sound of giggling. 
Eventually, seven war criminals were executed at the prison by hanging, including Hideki Tojo, who had been the prime minister of Japan during the war. During its time under control of Allied occupation forces from December 1945 through May of 1952, Kigamo Prison housed around 2,000 inmates. After the occupation, the prison passed to the Japanese government, and most of the prisoners were steadily released or paroled until the eventual shutting down of the facility in 1962. In 1971, the prison buildings were demolished to make way for the construction of the Sunshine City Complex, including Sunshine 60. The somewhat ominous reputation and history of the site made a lot of people in the area nervous at the time, and in fact, the very name Sunshine was chosen to somewhat lighten things up and take the edge off. I love the Japanese. Yeah. Yet, <laughs> there were grim events that would convince many that the site was cursed. Construction of Sunshine 60 was beset by many setbacks and freak accidents, with several construction workers dying under sometimes strange circumstances, such as faulty safety equipment that had shown no signs of having any problems, or falls that could have been easily prevented. Spooky rumors started to orbit the whole project, with many claiming that the restless spirits of the Sugamo prison condemned were plaguing the construction site. After its completion, it did not take long for the dark past of the site to seep into the bright and cheery entertainment center. Almost immediately, people reported seeing mysterious apparitions within the soaring mega-complex. Maintenance workers in particular reported seeing dark shadows moving about, as well as hearing strange laughter, groans, screams, whispers, and chanting after the throngs of visitors had left for the night. A commonly reported occurrence was the sound of something scraping over the floor, loud banging on the walls, or the violent rattling of the grates that closed the shops off at night. It was not only the night workers who experienced these phenomena. Customers reported glimpsing apparitions or disembodied faces lurking within secluded places such as dressing rooms or bathrooms, but also sometimes even in the brightly lit shops in broad daylight with other people around. There were numerous instances of people complaining of sudden, inexplicable gusts of frigid cold or of suddenly tripping and falling when nothing was in their way. Stories of shoppers being packed, pushed, or hearing whispers right in their ear when no one was there were also common. Poultrygeist activity flared up at times with items sometimes hurled from shelves or store clerks opening in the morning to find their stock rearranged or even strewn about the floor. The cheery-sounding Sunshine 60 quickly gained notoriety as being the world's first haunted skyscraper, and indeed one of the most haunted places in Japan. These alleged ghosts are not even necessarily ones that can readily be linked to the former prison which used to stand on the site and its war criminal inmates. One entity spotted on numerous occasions on the 60th floor observation deck is said to be a young, pale, and forlorn-looking woman who appears to be doomed to eternally leap to her death. Here on this dizzyingly high platform far above the city streets, the woman is said to silently make her way to the railing and hurl herself from the edge, often in full view of multiple witnesses. Startled visitors thinking someone has just committed suicide will rush to the edge expecting to see the lady falling to her doom, only to find that no one is there. This mysterious apparition is said to completely ignore visitors as if she has not even aware that they are there. Another regular is the specter of an old lady with black socket instead of eyes, 
who is said to roam aimlessly about the office floors, repeatedly mumbling, repeatedly mumbling, where is it? She will vanish immediately if spoken to. The operators and tenants of Sunshine 60 are quick to dismiss such stories. It is perhaps understandable that they wish to snuff out the memory of the former prison and any talk of ghosts which could tarnish their businesses. However, the stories continue to show no signs of letting up. The skyscraper has been the focus of various Japanese TV programs on the supernatural and is a favorite of psychics who say that they can sense a profound spiritual presence there, as well as an unbearable sense of hopelessness and despair. Anyone wishing to visit this famous haunted skyscraper for themselves can do so by going to the Ikibukuru train station in Tokyo, from which Sunshine 60 is just a short walk. The haunted observation platform on the 60th floor is completely open air and offers spectacular views to those willing to brave the heights and the many spirits of this towering structure. So fun fact, each of the Japanese train stations has a unique stamp Mm -hmm. that you can get. So something for you to remember your travels by. Oh, exactly about that one. Lulu is very active. Yes, I think she missed you guys so much. Oh, she missed us a lot. Yeah, she like let me pet her and stuff. Like I actually pet her. Yeah. She's like asking to be pet. Yeah. She's been cuddly this week. She's been very (laughs) and Vincent too. Yeah. Vincent as well. Vincent's a cuddly boy with me anyway. He he can be very cuddly, but um, he likes it on his terms. He'll curl up on your lap, and generally he would like to be left alone. But because if you try to pet him, he would turn around and try to bite you or something like that. Yeah. But he's been seeking out pets and um, and been much much less nibbly yeah. this past week. I mean, I miss you guys too, but like <laughs> not that much. <laughs> they don't pet me. We're back. <laughs> We're good. We're good. All right, so we're going to go over to Kimji Castle uh, and Oku's Well. Mm. <laughs> I think you that one. Yep. So this is one that was originally going to go on our scary pop culture uh, so we decided to move it on to this one. Uh, so one of the most famous horror movies of the modern era must be The Ring, and one of the most memorable scenes from this 1998 film is Sadako crawling out from the well. Wait, is that inspired by this? I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's really weird. Cool. I like it. <laughs> so the story is of a ghost girl and a well that has roots in the Japanese soap floor from the form of the tale of uh, Bancho Sarayasiki and the dish mansion at Bonko. Bancho, excuse me. Uh, given the nature of the popularity of the story, the tale has a couple of variations, including the two versions written for the stage. Despite many different tellings, at the core of the story, the tale is Treachery, betrayal, and tragedy were revolving around a young girl, a samurai, and a well. So the general version of the story follows a cuckoo, a young servant in the household of a married samurai, Tetsuzen Ayoima. I'm going to betray that, I'm sorry. Sure. <laughs> the samurai became enamored with a cuckoo and made a constant advances towards her, only to be rejected each time. And a ploy to force her to give in and accept his advances, 
He breaks at one of the ten valuable plates and then accuses her of the deed, knowing she's innocent. But without allies or support and unwilling to become his mistress, she throws herself down a well. Each night after her death, her voice is heard coming from the well, counting from one to nine, symbolizing her efforts to find the lost plate. After she reaches nine, her shade bursts uh, into a ghostly wailing and crying. The nightly screams from her ghost eventually drive her false accuser insane. And to the to end her torment, one night a gray samurai hid next to the well, waiting for her counting to commence. Once a cuckoo arrived, a, a cuckoo reached nine. The samurai leaped forth, holding uh, from their fighting place, shouting ten, representing the discovery of the lost place and freeing her from her post. The castle, perhaps one of the most famous and beautiful original castles left in Japan, has a specific version of the ghost story and an existing well to go with the legend. In the Himji version, it is as related by the castle's own website, it starts with the Horton scheming to take control of the castle, suspecting the, the treachery a samurai retainer loyal to the true lord of the castle sends a cuckoo to work as a servant for the other's family in order to spy on him. Despite their efforts, uh, of course, the wicked samurai succeeds in deposing the old lord and assumes power in the castle. While the loyalist samurai escapes, Okoku remains in the castle and continues to feed information to them. She is eventually discovered by one of the men who attempts to force her to marry him. She refuses. Provide a pretext to punish her. A Yoma's follower hides one of the ten plates and blames her for the loss. She is subsequently killed and thrown into the well. From then on, every night, her sorrowful voice can be heard counting for the missing plate. The manifest of a um, malfeasance. Malfeasance. There we go. Of a Noma and his men does not go unpunished. The loyal samurai are able to defeat him and his forces and retake the castle. Okuku is recognized for her brave actions and a shrine is built for her on the castle ground, which sets her spirit free. In Hemju's version, frames Okuku's story more heroically than in other accounts of the tale by both placing her as an ancient agent of the loyal samurai and recognizing her contributions after her death. This perhaps is due in part to Hemju's story being derived from a 1700s era puppet theater play, a time in which the themes of honor and fidelity were associated with the samurai class and held as major virtues. Okuku's story developed into a tourist draw to the castle by at least the late Edo period, and the castle version leaves out the more brutal aspects of the story. As an original puppet play, Anamana binds Okuku over the well and perceives the savage to beat her in an effort to break her will. Unable to do so, in a final fury, he strikes Okuku one more time and sends her body plummeting into the well. One particular addition to the tale is that after Okuku's death, the area surrounding Hemji suffers an infestation of caterpillars. The chrysalis stage of the caterpillars is thought to resemble the body of a bound woman. The popular thought is attributed to the infestation of Okuku's spirit returning. No one turns down the marketing opportunity. Of course, shopkeepers around the castle sold the chrysalis as souvenirs to tourists capitalizing on the legend. Other variations have substituted the stacky cups for the plates or describing the plates as magic poison detecting dishware. 
or rare Dutch ceramic. And in 1914 version, it even reframes the tale of the tragic romance between Hokoku and Oyama. Yeah. So it's definitely, I, I, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, you, you, you're some, you like, you read a lot of uh, fan fiction. <laughs> you do. You do. You do. I mean, I do, but wow. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you do. You talk about a lot, but this is where, where I'm going with this is that this is like taking place back in like the 1700s, 1800s, into the early 1900s, yeah. and this original tale was getting like rewritten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you know, people take fan fiction as something. Oftentimes, it's like a modern thing. People sharing their fan fiction. Oh on no, the this been going on for. forcibly relocated or killed in the disaster. 
One cab driver related his experience of going out looking for fares in the summer of 2011. He was shocked to find a young woman in, uh, hailing, hailing him down in a still-ravaged section of town. She was wearing a heavy winter coat in, uh, in the middle of summer and was completely drenched. The driver barely had time to realize that it hadn't rained in days before she climbed into the back seat and asked to be driven to the largely abandoned uh, Minamahama district. The driver pointed out that there was almost nothing left in that area as he switched the meter on, checking to make sure that the woman truly wished to go there. There was a long pause before the woman asked in a shaky voice, have I died? The driver was terrified. He spun around to find the back seat of his cab empty. Another cabbie in the area recalled picking up a confused-looking uh, man in his 20s who kept pointing forward when asked where he needed to go. Finally, he simply said, Hiyoriyama, a mountain park near the city. After careening up the mountain near Ishinomaki, the driver dropped his customer on a plateau at the summit. But when he turned around to be paid, there was nobody in the car. Countless other encounters have occurred across the region. One frequently cited spirit was that of an old woman at a refugee home in Anagawa. She would arrive to take a cup of tea, sit down on a cushioned seat, and disappear. The spot where she sat would be soaked with seawater after each of her visits. These events have been hotly debated over the last decade, with some theorizing that the ghosts are not really there, but are rather a collective manifestation of a nation that is trying to process the traumatic event. Still, societies continue as the country continues to cope. It does beg the question, is a ghost any less real, even if it is the product of the public conscience? And actually, actually this attack people for all kinds. Like, mm-hmm. they, like, there are people, like, standing on shores. There's one guy who said that he saw eyes in puddles. Yep. Um, that really messed him up. Mm-hmm. And then there's another guy who, like, went to go view the wreckage. He, like, didn't live anywhere near the devastation. But mm-hmm. he, uh, he went to go look at it. And he came back and had, like, a mental breakdown yep. afterwards. Yeah. Like, it really impacted Japan a lot. Absolutely. And there's still people living there today that, um, say that when it rains, mm-hmm. they can't go outside. Yeah. They can't go outside because they cannot face even a water puddle on the sidewalk or something like that. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, like, it impacts a lot of your fan, but, like, um, I remember just sitting in school hearing about it. Mm-hmm. I had to, like, take off school because mm-hmm. I had a friend in Japan I couldn't get in contact with her. Yeah. Uh, and I still haven't heard from her. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe if she's lost contact or if she perished. I have no clue and no way to find out. Um, dude, that, that was a rough. That was rough. Yeah. And like in our lifetime, too, guys, ghosts happened even mm-hmm. yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's their, that, that's one of the things that um, just day in and day out, like yeah. one of the most frequent questions that we get being a ghost tour company is like, you know, why are all of our ghosts, like, from the, from the Civil War or Victorian era or whatever have you? Well, they're not. Um, of course, there are a lot of ghost stories from that era. Um, probably the main reason for that is because these are 
stories that have um, been in the public consciousness long enough to be well-recorded, well-documented, and particularly if people are still having some of these experiences into the modern era. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's probably why across the board, not just here in Richmond, but anywhere you go, you're going to find some of the most well-established stories are from era where really we're um, – uh, in the probably the couple of centuries after the printing press really comes into full force. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, that's just stories. It was easier to record them. Stories yeah. were more frequently recorded, more widely disseminated. And, um, and you know, I think on our tours, though, like, mm -hmm. like I, mean, I just gave Chaco Bottom. So, like, I, my, my brain's on Chaco Bottom, but particularly Chaco Bottom and, um, Capitol Hill. Yep. Like, we have a lot of ghost stories from, like, what, 10 years ago? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and, they, yeah, they still, they, mm -hmm. they, they do still happen. Yeah. Um, it, it's funny, you know, Capitol Hill, despite being not not the oldest, but having some of the oldest buildings that still stand in Richmond. Yeah. You know, the Capitol Building, Governor Mansion, stuff like Hasn't that. Hasn't been, like, knocked down. And yeah. Yeah. Um, that particular tour has several of our most modern ghost stories, stuff from things that have happened just the last 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, it's really kind of, um, it, it's an interesting thing, but... Um, we like ghosts here. We do Richmond. like ghosts. We love to talk about ghosts. Yeah, we like to talk about the... I don't know. I don't know why I took my glasses off. I can't read the Because you wanted to, like, appear smart. <laughs> and like removing or putting on glasses makes you look smarter, like just automatically. I, I need a monocle. That's what I need. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. We'll look smarter and classier. <laughs> there we go. But don't get a monocle, please. <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to. Glasses are too expensive. It is, it is yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> What, what are they saying? I know they're saying something. So, Patrick, um, wonder fan fiction is the modern form of expanding upon legends and folklore. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I agree. No that, that's why. That's why. Actually, that 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 is why I accept the Viking TV show. Like, I know you can bother me about that online. If <laughs> uh, you genuinely want to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, you you wind up with this one main story, this well-established story, and then you wind up branching out with hundreds, if not thousands, of different variations of it. Yeah. So yeah, it happens. And then what if someone asks you, "Have I died?" What is the appropriate response? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what, always, every time, even if they're not dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> even if they're not dead. Yes. Wait. Even if they're, like, genuinely alive, like, flesh and blood standing in front of you. And they ask if they have died. Yes. You tell them yes? I, I feel like they have a valid reason for asking. And the answer is usually probably yes. So. Did you take a cue from the original Ghostbusters movie? I've seen a Ray, when someone asks <laughs> if you're a god, say yes. yes. I know that quote. I know that quote. Because <laughs> I found the crazy one. So I've seen that movie a total of once. Um, and then we tried to watch a slumber party. I and I ran away from the slumber party crying because the library goes, 
Harris. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's fair me for the longest time. Why, though? Like, like seriously, why, though? <laughs> Unnecessary. I'm sorry, Lee, that sounds terrifying. Oh, yeah, because I'm a different friend. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's, he's, Pat, Patrick, I love your response. Oh, my God, they keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. But, yeah, so, anyway, <laughs> hopefully you enjoyed the episode as much as we have. Um, I know Patrick did. As much as our buddy here has. And he hasn't been drinking. No, um, he hasn't been drinking. Yeah. By the way, um, guys, I know it looks really funny on the screen. It looks even funnier in real life. It looks like he's been on the Yeah, um, on the screen, it looks like he's just like, over, like leaning up. No, no, no. Here, it's great. Oh, boy. <laughs> Imagine Chris's hat doesn't fit. Yeah, I got a fat head. He does not have any fat on his head. No. <laughs> he has no hair, no grip. No, nothing. Anyway. All right, all right. So we will be back next Monday on the 5th. Next Monday on the 5th. Um, yep. Arizona? Yep. Haunted Arizona. Back to the state. Yep. Is it business Monday? Oh, my God, it is. Yep. It is. June 3rd on Thursday. Guys, I can't think of anything happening in June, but I'm so busy. Oh, I'm hating something. Okay. Oh, uh, shoot. I got to go see that. Yeah, so, yeah, we're doing that, but then, yeah, this month, well, we're, I mean, tours are going to have a nice week. Um, we're going to have a, a month get-together next Tuesday. Tuesday. I can get that confirmation. Was I ignored it? No, 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 that's what we have. We need to send it. So, if anybody from Haunts is watching this, aside from Lee sitting here. I'm we're, watching. We're, we're going to have a we're gonna have a meeting next Tuesday. But, um, so, uh, but, yeah. Yeah. One second. Don't mess me up like that. Why would you do that? That is so rude. Mm. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Like, I mean, yeah, we are seven nights a week, and that is a big deal. But also, like, outside of that piece. What? The thing. Why do we do this? (laughs) Because we love it. Yeah. We like being busy. We like being busy. It's better than the alternative which would be basically taking our drinks out in the backyard. And having a fire. And having like a fire. And throwing a party and stuff. And that's not a bad alternative. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Chris was going oh. in a sadder direction. But I was going in something. I don't know. Alex. Hi, 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 Sagas. <laughs> Sagas are so cool. But oh. we're talking about ghosts probably. Yeah. Um Sagas. So. I mean the pop culture one. Pop culture is fun. That one was a lot of fun. And I gotta say haunted breweries was a Yeah. Or you mean the distilleries? Well the breweries, distilleries, wineries, because we got we ended up getting that whole book. Yeah. Hmm. Um Werewolves. I like the werewolf episode. Which we did. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was forever ago. It, it was uh, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. That was a fun episode. We've done a lot of fun ones. Yeah. Almost, almost all of them have some really good stories. 
I mean, I researched Japan. um, And, like, guys, I'm impressed, by the way, um, that, I mean, as far as I saw, you didn't, like, pull from the urban legend. You're trying not to. Like, I had to actually find the full ghost story. Um, And I do think think we should do something about the Japanese urban legends because Japanese, like, ghost urban legends are wonder. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of other ones, yeah. Um, Every single one of them. We're we're in no shortage of material at the moment. Yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, we will have to get to Massachusetts. Point. Yes, we do have a file for it. Yeah. Um, so I might go there after New York. Yeah, but we're going to get a little bit of a tear of uh, states done over the next few episodes. So we have Arizona, Illinois, New York lined up. Ooh, Illinois, that's where Chicago is. You guys see, I'm so good at geography. <laughs> but yeah, so we will see you all next week for Arizona, and until then, happy hunting, and hopefully we'll see you on our tour soon. Yes, yeah. please, because we also are starting our brand new tour this next month called Chase Inspectors of Portland.